So today we're going to continue on with the series that we began last week. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, I want to encourage you to do so. Uh, You can listen to it online. Because I will say that this is probably, not even probably, if, if I could say that we have a message here at Ignition Church, this is it. If, if I could say that we have a single focus at Ignition Church, this is it. It's, it's not about what we do. It's not even about what we're called to do. It's not about the programs we set up. It's not about the, the church building. It's not about the fact that we're beginning in, in uh, Nigeria and in Mexico and doing all these things. It's not about any of that. It's not even about the individual call on your life. And so, so many times we get caught up in that. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with my life? What's your intention with me, with my life? And we focus on the what instead of the who. So really, our focus here at Ignition Church, our primary reason for living and breathing, for doing all that we do, is this very idea of sinking our heart with the Father. See, because Jesus really simplified things when he came to this earth and died on the cross for our sins. He said, if you just worry about the one thing, just the one thing, I'll take care of the rest. That's one of our foundational verses, right? Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then he'll add all these things unto you. So if we make the main focus Jesus Christ and our relationship to him, seeking him where he is, if you remember last week, talking about we don't seek him where we are, we don't seek him in the things that we do, we seek him where he is, where he is seated at the right hand of God. So if we seek him in that place, he takes care of the rest. He takes care of your calling. He takes care of what he wants you to do. He takes care of all the incidentals. He takes care of the bills. He takes care of of the relationships. Now, he does that through the, through us. Don't get me wrong. You can't go lock yourself in a room and seek Christ and then expect everything else to happen outside of yourself. That's not my point. My point is if you put the horse before the cart like it's supposed to be, the rest of it works out. So it's really about this intimacy with Jesus Christ. Okay, I, I would dare say, I've, I, we, we, we're a little over a year old, I would dare say that almost every week I've said those very words. Intimacy with Jesus Christ. Because that's what it's about. It's about this relationship. And last week we talked about, you know, sinking our heart with the Father's. Right? We do that through our relationship with Jesus Christ. If you remember last week, talking about sinking our hearts for the Father, why do we want to do this? Why do we want to sink our heart with the Father? Okay, if you remember, and you can write these down, I'll, I'll give them slowly, just these references. 
if you didn't get a chance to write them down last week. But John chapter 14, we're not going to turn there, but you can write it in, in the notes in your bulletin. John 14, verses 12 to 14. He says in there, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. That's huge. When you really think about it and realize what it's saying there, that's huge. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. So that's why we want to sync our hearts with his. Because when our hearts are synced with his, then we understand his will. We understand his thought process. We begin to think how he thinks. We begin to understand and apply to our lives the very core of who the Father is. Now remember that there was a process in doing this. There's a process in sinking our hearts with His. In Matthew chapter 16, 24 to 27, Matthew 16, 24 to 27, if you didn't get it last week, it talked about denying ourselves and taking up our cross, not taking up His cross, but the scripture says taking up our own cross. We deny ourselves, take up our own cross. If you remember, we talked about the Greek of the word deny. It means to deny utterly or completely. It means to disown or abstain. So of ourselves, we deny ourselves completely, knowing that what he offers is better. Now, does that mean we're... Like, follow the process of a monk, and we can't speak, and we can't do this, and we can't do that, and we go live on a mountain somewhere where we don't have any interaction with anybody else because we have to completely deny ourselves. Is that what that means? (laughs) No, it isn't. Because, see, God demands interaction. God demands relationship. He said the relationship we have with him, we're also to have with each other. So when it talks about denying ourselves, it's talking about the core of who we are that would take us from God. See, because we're all born with sinful flesh. We're we're all born with this idea that I am number one. I and what I want is the most important thing. Just be around any babies for any length of time and you're going to... Get that real quick, that they understand right out of the womb, they're number one. When they're crying, when they're hungry, they're going to cry till they get what they want. Because that's all that they understand. Well, the Father's trying to tell us here that as you grow and as you understand Him, as you develop this relationship with Him, you're going to understand more and more about what He wants for you. What He wants through you, you begin, you begin to even trust that more and more. The, the more that you live with relationship in him and you realize, wow, when I do it his way, it seems to work out. When I do it my way, it doesn't seem to work out. Those relationships that I put the Father first and I seek intimacy with him, those relationships flourish 
But those relationships that I don't put him first, I don't let him work through my life, not only do those relationships not work out, but they detract. They detract from me and who I am in intimacy with the Father. So that's huge. That's huge. Deny yourself. Then the next point was put on a new self. Right? Out of Colossians chapter 3, and again, we're not going to turn there, but Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, it talks about putting on this new self. So when we accept Jesus Christ into our heart to be our Savior, okay, we are giving Him control of our lives. Okay, we are saying to Him, I believe in you. I believe that you are who you say you are, and you did what you said you did, and I give you my life. We become, the Bible says, we become bondservants of Jesus Christ. What a bondservant is, is basically a slave by choice. Not a slave by conquering, not a slave by transaction, but a slave by choice. A bond slave fell in love with the people that they were bond slaves of, and they said, I by choice give you my life to be a bond slave for you. And then they were marked as a bond slave for the rest of their life. This was a complete lifelong decision. When we asked Jesus Christ into our hearts, that's what we became of his. It was by our own choice that we became his bondservant. We wanted him to take control of our lives. But what really happens? More times than not, we give him control and then we pull a little back. Well, God, I, I, I didn't mean this part over here. I gave you the whole thing, but I really meant to keep this part back. And we, we begin pulling these pieces back that we want to control, whether it be out of fear, whether, you know, whatever emotion that's out of, it doesn't matter because bottom line is we're pulling it back because we think we can do better. We know this, I know this part of my life, Lord. So I got this covered. If you just take care of the rest, I got this part covered, right? And we tend to do that. And then, you know what? We serve a gracious God. We serve a God who loves us, who is patient with us. And what does he do? He just turns around and says, okay. All right. You want to do this? The hard way we can, because I love you. I'll let you go through this. I'll even guide you through this. I'll even help you along the way, because it's important to him that we learn intimacy with him is the best. So oftentimes, and, and I, would, I would love to meet somebody who doesn't do this. Okay, I would love to meet somebody who doesn't pull things back in that relationship. So everybody goes through their times. We call it the valley. We call it the testing, right? And it's really not a valley at all when you think about it, because I look back in my own life, and the most significant times that I learned a lesson in my relationship with Jesus Christ were in this place called the valley. I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem like a low thing to me. That seems like an awesome thing to me. 
When, when I have an epiphany of something that I've struggled with for years and years and years, in some cases my whole life, and I have an epiphany about this one thing, man, that's not a low time. That's a great time. Praise God for what he does in our lives. And he, he just wants to show us how important that intimacy is. So that, that third point, again, putting on a new self. Thinking on things above, not on things on this earth. It says in Colossians 3. What does that mean? We talked about it last week. That means just like when we're to seek him in his kingdom, we're to think of things in his kingdom. We're to think of things where he is. Not where we are. Right? We think of to lift us up. You think of things where he is. That just makes sense, right? That's what Colossians 3 said. So synchronized heartbeats, if we do that, if we desire our heartbeat to be synchronized with him, we have chosen a road marked with trials. Understand that. When there is a decision made for Jesus Christ, you have got something that you just received. This thing called life. Eternal life. Eternal life that cost you nothing. Eternal life that was 100% done by Jesus Christ. All you had to do was ask. All you had to do was receive this life that he gives. That life is not manifest here on earth. You have to understand this. Because there is a grace message out there that is called hyper-grace that is wrong. It is sad that when we accept Jesus Christ, that's all we have to do. That's all we have to think about. Okay, now that is all we have to do for our eternity. And we've talked about this before. Salvation in the Bible is broken down into three things. It is our accepting Jesus Christ into our hearts. Our forgiveness of that sin. That is the first part of salvation. That is, in a way, your ticket to heaven. But it doesn't stop there. See, if you think Jesus Christ came and died on this cross just to let you be in heaven and do your own thing, you're confused. Because the Bible doesn't say that at all. The Bible says he wants relationship with you. He wants love. That's why we were created in the first place. So that brings us to the second part of this salvation piece that's called sanctification. That is, from the moment we're saved, we've accepted Jesus Christ into our heart until the moment we breathe our last breath on this earth. That time in there that we spend in relationship with God is called our sanctification. How, how close we become on earth in faith to Jesus Christ. That's our sanctification. Now, by the way, the sanctification holds no bearing on you going to heaven. When you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, it is done, it is sealed. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of you as a guarantee, it says. The word there in the Greek is a stamp, a ruling stamp. See, when the ruler 
The Roman ruler used to put his stamp on something. That was law. That was done. It could not be refuted. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives when we accept Jesus Christ into our heart. He stamps our salvation. And the word, the most beautiful word in the Bible is in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 where it says until. The word until you receive what's promised. Well, what's promised? Eternal life. What's promised? Heaven. After this life, we step into a life with Jesus Christ in heaven. That's what's promised. So until we receive that, while we're all still, I'm pretty sure everybody here is breathing, as far as I can tell. (laughs) While we're still here breathing and we're on this earth, we are guaranteed to step into that life. That's huge. That's nothing that I ever have to concern myself with again. Because I have given my heart to Christ, and he has bought me with a price. I have become his bondservant, and I have heaven waiting for me. No matter what I do, by the way. No matter what I do in sin, no matter what I do with my life, I have that waiting for me. But see, this is where the grace message The hyper-grace message messes up. It says it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do because you are righteous before God. When you accepted Jesus Christ, you took on the righteousness of Jesus Christ before the Father. And that is absolutely true. However, because of our sanctification... We, do, we are seen by Jesus differently than we're seen by God, the Father. You have to understand that. Our relationship to the Father is purity. Our relationship to the Father is seen through the lens of the Son. That's why He died. So the Father sees us as perfect. See, because the Father could not be around us. He could not even look at us when we were filled with sin. So the fact that that righteousness of Christ is eternal means the Father can have relationship with us while we're here on earth. Because he does it through Jesus Christ. However, Jesus Christ, he became a man. He lived on this earth for 33 years, lived a perfect life, died, rose again. He died for you and me. He understands What we go through. He lived and walked in our shoes. He was tempted just as we were in every way. Yet without sin. He understands us. You might say in today's vernacular, he speaks our language. He gets us. Okay, he sees us differently than the Father sees us. Why? Because that lens of his that is still a human lens does see our sin, does see how we act after our salvation. See, he sees what we do. You've Growing up, I, I'm sure you know, most of your parents have said, well, I might not know what you did, but you know God knows what you did. <laughs> right? Did we ever tell you that, Brooke? I don't know. Probably. Because it's true. But you know what? It's talking about Jesus. It's talking about what he knows in our relationship with him. 
See, and the Bible talks about how when we continue in known sin, and there's a key factor there, it's a known sin. When we step into something we know is wrong and we're going to do it anyways, what does that do? It does not cost us our salvation because we're guaranteed by the Holy Spirit, period. What it costs us is our intimacy. It costs us the very closeness that we have with the Father through Jesus Christ. See, have you ever prayed and it just doesn't seem to get through? And that intimacy that we have with him, there are times where we go through this dryness. Many times that dryness is because of our own choices, our own known sin that we step into. So the hyper-grace is a fallacy in the word of God. It doesn't, that's not grace at all. Because the grace is something that he gave us when we accepted him. And that was 100% grace. That was full grace. But how we live our lives matter. Now, I want to say real quick, though, on the other end of the scale, is just as wrong as hyper-grace. This legalism is just as wrong as hyper-grace. Where I decide that, well, God, you've shown me this, 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 and this. That's wrong, and wow, I see my neighbor doing this, 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 and this. So I'm going to tell them what I think. Tell them what you showed me. See, that's legalism. Legalism isn't following the word of God yourself. Legalism is placing it on someone else. Placing the very judgment through the Holy Spirit on somebody else. See, we are nobody else's conscience. I suppose unless you're a parent, then you have certain rights there with your children. But we are nobody else's conscience. Everybody, when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ, will have to answer for themselves. When we, Even as Christians, we stand before a different judgment seat. Praise God, we... We stand before not being judged of heaven or hell, but we go to what's called the Bema Seat of Christ, where we are judged on a positive scale for what we did in our lives in, in terms of our relationship to Christ. He, 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 he just looks and sees, how intimate did you become with me? That's the Bema Seat of Christ. And there are rewards that are associated with that. We're not going to get into that today. But understand that in doing this, you know, there are those two extremes. There's the hyper grace, there's the, the legalism. And what you have to do is you have to figure out for yourself the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ and letting him work through you. And it doesn't matter at what end of the scale you are. If you grew up, you got saved at a young age, and you've grown up. I've been saved for 42 years, and I'm 43, so, you know, you do the math. Okay, it doesn't matter if you've been saved for a long time or if you just got saved just recently. It doesn't matter. You have the same opportunity as anybody else that has been saved. Jesus Christ has a relationship with you simply because the Holy Spirit lives in you and he bought you with a price, the price of the cross. So you have this relationship, you have this 
possibility now of developing a relationship. You know, you've all heard it said, well, it's, it's not religion, it's relationship, right? And that's the absolute truth. But it's not just relationship in terms of we're all hanging out together. The relationship's the intimate. It's between you and him, period. Not a group and him. Not Ignition Church and him. But you and him, period. So when you choose to go down this road and you choose to become intimate with him, trying to sync your heartbeat with his, you have to understand that that road is going to be marked with a lot of trials. That is not an easy road. Right? 1 Corinthians 3 talks about a cost. When we follow Jesus Christ in our sanctification, there's a cost to that. And in some lives, there's a great cost to that. I think the more intimate we become with him, the greater the cost. Why? Because that's how it was for him. In order to secure our lives, to be with him for eternity, the Father, it cost him his own son. It cost him portions of that relationship that will never be the same. Do you understand that? Before Jesus Christ came to this earth, he was not a man. Okay, he is God. He was the creator of the world. He is part of the Trinity. But by choice, and by the way, it was the choice of not only Jesus Christ, it was the choice of the Father. Because the Bible teaches that it was the Father's plan that Jesus said, I submit myself to. So Jesus, as the God of the universe, as the creator of you and me, he implanted himself into his creation in order to redeem that creation, in order to make it to where that creation could have synced hearts with him. So he can attain the very love he created us for in the first place. Because see, he can't get love from us when we're separated from him. He can't get love from us when we don't accept his son. So that's why that plan was launched. And just like Jesus' life was marked with trials, so will our lives following him be marked with trials. Don't raise your hand, but I would dare say there's nobody here that has not had trials. Things that didn't make sense. God, why are you doing this to me? We all go through stuff. And some people in greater measure than others. And there's zillions of reasons for that. But there's only one goal. That goal of the Father is intimacy with him. So no matter what we go through in our sanctification process, it is to attain that goal of being intimate with him. Right, so it's going to be marked with trials. I want you to turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to read 3 through 9. That's going to lay this out for us. 1 Peter 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 3 through 9, 
says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, in other words, we accepted him, we were born into this hope when we have accepted him into our hearts. And he said, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven. See, our, our, our thing is not here. Our, what, what God promised us, our inheritance, we're not going to inherit while we're here on earth. In these years that we spend on earth, our goal is what he gives us in heaven. Verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The Holy Spirit is keeping us. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So he's saying, by the way, it's not going to be all good once you've accepted Jesus Christ. When you've accepted Jesus Christ, expect some trials. Why? Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it be tested by fire, So the very genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what's being tested in trials? Our faith. It's not our strength. It's not our abilities. It's not how great we are. It's not our hope. It's not... Anything else that we can do, it's one thing, faith. The entire walk with Jesus Christ boils down to faith. Again, Jesus makes it just easy, this walk with him. He boils things down to little bite-sized pieces. That when you take a bite, it's a lifelong journey. So this idea of faith is to be produced in us And why does he have to do that here, by the way? Because when we're with him, we don't need the faith. When you're standing before somebody, you don't need to believe that they exist. Because you're looking at them. Right? I know Shannon exists because I see her. I've talked to her. I've shaken her hand. I've I've built a relationship. See, I don't need faith to know that Shannon exists. However, we don't see God. We don't see Jesus Christ. We see the outcome of his work. We see the evidence that he is here, but we don't see him. Just like gravity, you see the evidence of gravity, thank the Lord, but we don't see gravity. By faith, we know it's there. Well, by faith, we know Jesus Christ came to this earth. We know he died on the cross. We know he was risen from the grave by faith. We know that the Father is in control of everything by faith. We know that 
Our hearts are secure in Him unto salvation. Why? By faith. So as you start walking in your life, and, and these trials come up, they're to test that very faith. Not to test and see, well, we'll see if He really loves me. I'm going to throw a test at Him. It's not that. It's because God says, I want Him to see my glory. I want him to see how much I love him. I want him to see how much I want to do for him. So I've got to test his faith in me to do it. See, because he has to learn, he or she has to learn to trust me over everything else. Nothing. God is a jealous God. Nothing can come before him. And when we place things before him, we add trials in our life that didn't need to be there. See, the Bible talks about trials being there regardless to test our faith. But oftentimes we bring trials on that didn't need to be there in the first place. The one thing God hates are idols. Anything that we put before him. You know, well, my career. Well, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my husband, my wife, my family. My cool car. (laughs) Whatever it is that we love to do, that we place before Jesus Christ, brings trials into our lives to, to show us that he is above that. That he requires nothing to be before him. That's why it's a bumpy road, but we also have a choice to make it less bumpy. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Talking about Jesus Christ. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that he is inexpressible and filled with glory. We cannot express the fullness of who he is. Verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So you have to understand, when we get to heaven, that is the outcome of our faith. One, our faith in Jesus Christ and giving him our lives when we accepted him into our heart. We are guaranteed that outcome in faith, but that's not the only outcome that it's talking about here. Because, see, it's talking about trials. It's talking about working through those trials in this life, in this thing that's called sanctification, drawing close to Jesus Christ, so it's obtaining the, the, the fruits or the outcome of our faith as we walk in Him. So it goes beyond just getting in the gates. I want to make a statement here that is a little bit tough to swallow. And I'm not going to rabbit trail on it, but you have to understand something. When you get to heaven... This perfect place that God resides. Do not think that that experience will be the same for everyone. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches us that we will be with God. But the Bible also teaches that there will be rewards based on our faith here. 
Our faith here, where we can't see him, so by faith we exercise this faith to draw close to him. The Bible teaches these rewards that we get based on that. I'll give you one as an example. Okay, in in Revelation chapter 3, I believe it's verse 24 or 25, something like that. It says, to them who conquer. Right? To them who conquer. I will give reward. That's one example. There are many examples, Thessalonians. And, and we, we might do a study on this here at some point. But I want you to understand that there is a cost to seeking relationship with Jesus Christ beyond our salvation, beyond our justification. But there is huge reward. There is huge reward when you decide not to live for yourself You want to live with intimacy with Christ, knowing the Father, having your heartbeat synced with His. There's reward to that. There's reward here on earth, but that is, that's nothing compared to the reward in heaven. It says that we will rule with Christ. It's talking about the millennium. And again, I don't want to get sidetracked. But when, when Christ comes to rule on this earth, which the Bible promised, from Genesis, when he comes to rule on this earth, he will do it for a thousand years. That will be heaven, that we will be with him. It will be perfect, but we will rule with him. It says we will judge angels. We will rule with him in that society, for lack of a better word. Okay, it doesn't say everybody. It says to those who conquer. Revelation 3. All will be there, but not all will rule. And it's not based on how good you are. It's not based on how talented you are. It's not based on all the good things you do. It's based on one thing. Your intimacy with the Father through Jesus Christ. Is your heart in sync with his? See, because when we sink our hearts with his, he can do in our life what he wants. And the fruits of what you see, someone becoming a preacher, someone becoming a, a, a ministry leader, someone doing worship, someone playing guitar you know, in a, in a ministry band, all these things are fruit of what he does in our lives. See, they're, they're not the focus of our life. They're not the purpose in our life. The, the fruit he decided to display in our life. Me being a preacher is, is simply the fruit that he's decided to display in my life when I chose to seek him in intimacy. When I chose that my relationship with him was the most important thing to me. I wanted to be there in intimacy with him. I want you to turn to Matthew 16. I'll just read this real quick, because this is also part of what the fruit is produced when we're intimate with Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, verse 19, says this, and, and, and Christ is talking here to Peter. You know, he, he just said, who, who do you say I am, Peter? And Peter said, you are the Christ. And he said, blessed you are. 
because he didn't tell you, but by faith Peter knew that. And, and in verse, as a matter of fact, let's read, let's start in uh, verse 17. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, are you Simon Barjona, which is Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. See, Jesus didn't even tell him who he was. He allowed the Father to tell Peter who he was, because Peter said, you are the Christ. Verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, now by the way, he's talking about, he's talking about a couple things there, because Peter is one of the begin, beginnings of the church, but the rock that he's talking about is himself. Christ becomes the cornerstone of the church. Right? So he says, upon this rock, Jesus Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now verse 19 is what I wanted to get to. So the setup is that, that Peter has intimacy with the Father, and the evidence of that intimacy is he just showed Peter that Jesus was the Christ, right? So verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Wow. Think about what that's saying for a second. Here is Peter who is following Jesus Christ, who has relationship with the Father. The Father revealed to him, showing and proving Peter had relationship with the Father. And what did he say? He said, Peter, here's the key. Here's the key to the heavenly realm. And whatever you bind here on earth, we will bind in heaven. Whatever you loose here on earth, we will loose in heaven. What he's talking about is the warfare that we deal with. The binding of the enemy here on earth. The loosing of blessing here on earth. He gave Peter the key to that. He gave a human being, a person like you and me, as a matter of fact, a person who flies off the handle. You know, what was Peter's reaction when Christ was taken? Attack. Cut off the ear of the, of the Roman soldier. You know, he, he was a man who, who tended to jump before he thought. <laughs> he would open his mouth, stick his foot right in. Right? He gave him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Think about that. Wow! That's huge! You know, because I'm flawed, I probably would have been like Peter. If, so, if, if Christ were here with me, I, I probably would have fought for him myself. Not really realizing what was supposed to happen. But yet, he gave the keys to Peter. He offers those keys to me. He offers those keys to you. Those keys come from intimacy with Christ. Intimacy with the Father, heartbeats in sync together. Why did he give Peter the key? Because he knew Peter was thinking like the Father. He knew that what Peter would desire would be the very things the Father would desire. That's why he gave him the key. Not that Peter proved himself, hey, I, I, I'm qualified. I have these talents and that talent, and I can do this and I can do that. That's not why he got the key. 
He got the key because the father could trust him with it. He got the key because the father could say, here, I know that you're going to want to do what I want. Because you have proven yourself to be intimate with me. The proof was that he showed who Christ was to Peter. Christ didn't have to tell him. The father showed Peter who Christ was. Or who Jesus was, that he was the Christ. So that's a huge reason why you want to be intimate with the Father. You want your heartbeat to be in sync with him. Because when you do, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And you want to talk about having... Power, if you will, influence. How about if you had the very God of the universe and your mind was in sync with his and he let you do things on earth that he would back you up in heaven? (laughs) I don't know about you, that's pretty huge. If I know I have the backup of the Father, there's no place on this earth I'd be afraid to go. There's no place on this earth that I would be afraid to walk into. Just like Elijah. There's no place that you have to be afraid. When when he said, Father, open his eyes. Let him see the army circled around us that's here to protect us. See, we've talked about this a few weeks ago that, that... and, and I know Alexa is talking about it in her class, but this, this realm that we're in is not just what we see, right? There is good, there is evil, there is the enemy, there is the, the forces of God at work in this world. So what we, if we're intimate with him, if, if we know that there's an enemy at work here, and we're intimate with the Father, think about that, what we bind on earth, will be bound in heaven. So the very force coming against us, and people that we love, and people that we care about, and the Lord, who the Lord placed on our hearts, we can bind that here, and the Father looks up and says, yes, and he binds it. And he says, you obey. He tells the enemy, you obey simply because we were intimate with the Father. We were intimate with Him, and when you're intimate with Him, you want to do His plan. You want to do His will. Why? Because if you don't, you fall out of that intimacy. And see, there is a joy here that we're given on earth. It's called the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. We're given that on earth when we're intimate with the Father through Jesus Christ. So when you fall out of that intimacy, you lose those fruits. You lose that peace. You lose that joy. And where is your life right now? Think about where your joy level is right now. Think about where your peace level is right now. What peace do you have in your life? Or do you worry? 
Are you encumbered by what could happen? Are you patient? Well, that's a tough one here in the U.S. We're the microwave society. (laughs) Patience is a tough one. God, if you could just take that one off, I'm good with the rest. That patience one is a little tough. How is that displayed in our lives? Do we have love? Do you feel loved? Do you know God loves you more than anybody else ever could? So much so he he sent his only son to die for you. So do you think if he's willing to do that, do you think there is any trial in your life that he can't handle? That there is anything in your life that he cannot take control of? He just wants us to trust him. He just wants us to build the faith. Ephesians 1, 17 and 19 Ephesians 1, 17 through 19 says this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know, that you may know, I highlighted that word in my Bible, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? See, what he's saying here is we've been given this spirit that resides in us. It's it's like a resource that lives inside of you that you don't realize you can access until you access it. This resource of the Holy Spirit, what's he promise? He says, the spirit, he, he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in what? The knowledge of him. What that is saying there, folks, is that if you don't understand the word of God and you want to, pray and ask. Lord, I I don't understand this passage, or for that matter, I I, I was recently listening to a a testimony of Todd White, and and he said for, for four months he gets saved, and he's reading the Bible for four months, literally he said, I got nothing out of it. He said, I simply read it, he said, six to eight hours every day for four months. He said, and I was so discouraged because I didn't get anything out of it. He said, I just didn't understand. He said, I I, I have, he, he had trouble learning anyways. He said, I just don't understand. And then he came across these two, or these three verses right here. He said, the Holy Spirit gives wisdom of the revelation of his word. The Holy Spirit will open your eyes to it if you ask him. He will open your eyes to every passage if you ask him and trust him in it. I can tell you this because it's happened to me dozens of times. Even recently where where I'm looking and I'm dealing with trying to figure something out And I'm just not getting it. Holy Spirit, help me. One of your jobs, Holy Spirit, is when I ask for you to reveal the wisdom and the revelation of your word. For you to open it up to me. God, I trust your word. And I know that that's what that says. 
So I'm going to trust that you show me this. And then trust him. He will. It may not be in that moment. He will begin to reveal to you what it means. So we have an advocate in learning his word. Why is this important? And this gets down to, I want you to turn to, and, and I, I'm going to have to do finish this next week. Because <laughs> we're actually finally getting to our main passage. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know what? I am going st- to stop right there. Because we're, we're going to, because uh, I've, I've probably got e- easy another 45 minutes to an hour with this. So, <laughs> right. So I want you to understand, why is this important? Why does this even matter? It's because one day we will stand before him. And one day we will not have to live by faith. We will see him. We will be able to embrace him. We will be able to stand with the one who died for us. We'll be able to look at his hands. We'll be able to see his scars. He'll show us and we'll see the scars on his face where he was beaten, where his beard was ripped out. We will see the effects of how humans treated the Messiah. We're going to see that one day. But do you know you can have closeness with him right now? If you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, that opened the door to relationship with him. That relationship is not guaranteed. That relationship is not part of the justification when we accept him into our heart. What we receive when we accept him into our heart is eternity with him. Eternal life, not eternal death. So what was changed there was our very destination. But not our lives. Not our relationship. See, he didn't promise you a relationship. He promised you the possibility of a relationship. Unlike when we accepted Jesus Christ in our hearts and he did everything, to have a relationship, that lead is on us. We t- that's why Jesus said, draw unto me and I will draw unto you. He didn't say, you know what, I'm just going to come after you and I'm just going to love you and I'm just going to hold you close so you don't have to worry about it. Just, just, like, just like when you got saved, I'll do everything. If you're reading that in the Word of God, you need to show me because I have not seen a single verse that talks like that. Instead, throughout the Bible, it talks about this relationship that he offers us if we take a step toward him. Now, what I found, myself, is when I take a step toward him, he leaps toward me. So it's not this equal measured thing. Well, I took a baby step, and okay, Jesus is on the other side. Okay, I'll give you a baby step. and It's not like that. See, he wants to reveal himself to you. He wants intimacy with you. He wants you to be more aware of him than what is going on all around you. 
than all the trials, all the troubles, the boss that stinks, the, the you know, relationships that are struggling, families that are being torn apart. All these things, he wants him to be, us to be more aware of him than those things. Because when we are, he begins to repair those things. Why? Because he begins to repair us. He begins to work in our hearts in such a way that it changes our very eyesight. It changes how we see him. Therefore, it changes how we see everything around us. All those trials that we're in, all those things that we face, they're not these mountains anymore. In fact, they're opportunities. They're opportunities, like it said, to grow in our faith, to draw closer to Him, to fall more in love with Him. And that produces these fruits of the Spirit. That produces the love that we feel. That produces the joy that we feel. Right? That's what He wants. That's what He wants relationship. And He wants that from everyone here. Nobody is disqualified. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you are. I don't how, care how great, how small, doesn't matter. See, because when you're talking about relationship, you're talking about a one-on-one thing. And there's only one prerequisite to that relationship. And that is Jesus Christ coming into our heart to be our Savior. When you have asked him into your heart to be your Savior, and you believe in who he is and what he did, dying on the cross and raising from the grave, you became eligible for this relationship. So if you've done that this morning, there is nothing in your way to develop that relationship. Nothing. And don't let the enemy tell you differently. See, because the enemy wants to tell you, well, yeah, but you've got this sin in your life. You've got this in your life. You're, you're paying more attention to this. You're doing this. You're not worthy of a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're not worthy. See, the enemy wants to tell you that. You don't deserve it. Well, I've got to tell you, deserve's got nothing to do with it. Because you're right. The enemy's right. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve his love. I don't know why he didn't just destroy Adam when Adam chose to sin. I don't know why he didn't just destroy everything when they did not follow Jesus Christ. Except that he loved. He loves us. More than that, he adores us. He adores you. In your relationship with him, he wants, he desperately wants you. So don't, don't let the enemy tell you you're not qualified. The only qualification is asking Jesus Christ in your heart. Let's pray.